You guys in Exodus 18? Well, hang out. It's going to be a minute before we get there. So one of the um, one of the themes that we've been going through as we go through the Old Testament is this idea that it, the Old Testament is a storybook. Now, now, the Old Testament, I want you to take that the wrong way. The Old Testament is not a storybook. The Old Testament is true, real, live events that took place. Jonah and the whale is not a, a made-up Disney movie that, that, that the Bible tells to illustrate a truth. It's an actual event of a guy named Jonah who was swallowed and, and by actually the Bible doesn't say whale. The term the Bible uses is big fish, but that God created a big fish and it swallowed Jonah and he, he swam and, and, and two, the fish swam 200 miles in the other direction and spit him up on the beach in Nineveh right in the place where he was supposed to be. The, all of these events of the Old Testament, they, they paint a picture. And it's orchestrated so perfectly in God's wisdom and his, in his, you know, in his divine sovereignty of a perfect picture of New Testament living. One of the differences in the stories in the Old Testament is they faced them prior to Jesus dying on the cross and prior to God pouring out his Holy Spirit upon this place. They, they, they faced physical, literal enemies. So, for example, David fought in his life a literal Goliath. He fought a human being that was nine feet, six inches tall, that had a spear like a weaver's beam, that had a sword that was so big David couldn't pick it up and um, barely pick it up. And um, the, the guy was, was ginormous, human being. And David literally physically fought this guy with five rocks. In this side of the cross, we have Goliaths in our lives. We prayed about and we faced different Goliaths. And Lydia and I and our family, as you guys know, we faced the Goliath in our life when Lydia's mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer about eight years ago. And, and, and that felt like Goliath. And though we weren't literally physically fighting a giant, we're going through those same things that, that David went through. And, and it's on a, on a spiritual level. And as we know in the New Testament, it says that we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in dark places. And so that, that this, this battle that we fight and we wage war with our spiritual weapons of prayer and being in the word and growing. And so this um, study through Exodus has really been pointing out some parallel passages in the New Testament and how we face them. As you guys know, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he testified exactly for this. And it says that Jesus walked with these two guys down the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. They didn't know who he was at first. Then once, they, then once he opened their eyes and they realized it was Jesus, it says that he took them in the scriptures beginning at Moses... And showed them all the places in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that speak of Him. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whenever you see the term in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, it's a reference to Jesus, or what we call a, a pre-incarnation, or a, 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 a Christophany. I was going to say theophany, a Christophany. A Christophany is a word that means a place where you see Jesus appearing in the Old Testament, so Jesus existed before he was born in a manger to Mary. He existed after and before. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we have Jesus appearing, you know, in the Old Testament in, in multiple places. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, what, what, did, what, did, what did old Nebi say when he threw him in the fire? He said, I threw three men in the fire, and I see the fourth. And the, and the fourth one is, is as if the... Why did he say that? The Son of God. Because it was Jesus. Jesus was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so just keeping that in mind as we kind of travel through the Old Testament, the reason why I point that out is because I think sometimes these stories, and the reality is they, they can be boring. There, I said it. Um, laborious. As, as you go through, you know, when we're getting, if we just march through, which, you know, depending on how we go through it. And some things I think we'll cover them just so it's important that we cover them, but we'll march through them very faster or fa very quickly. But we're going to get into Leviticus. And I think it's like Leviticus 13 is the law of bodily discharge. Yeah, that's, that's in the Bible. Like, eh, I don't know, like how we, you know, and, and so much of it is sometimes can be genealogy and can be, but you know, that, that attitude that the entire Old Testament is not that way. There, there definitely are sections, but I think it's super important that we take into consideration the entire counsel of God's word as we study the word. 
And, and you know, I've talked to people and they say, well, I, I like the Bible, but I just like the, I just like the Gospels. I, I'm, just, I, I'm in the Gospels. I'm a Gospel Christian, you know? And like, like really, they, they don't read the Bible because they have no idea what they're talking about. You can't actually be in the Word and reading and, and think that that's normal or that that's okay to, to be a, I'm a Gospel Christian. But the, the reality is, so as we go through the Old Testament, it, it is important. Sometimes it's important just that we know the events that took place. Even if we're not going through and pulling out all of these super spiritual um, analogies and, and, and nuggets out of the text, for you just to know the events as they went down, it's God's Word. They're there for a reason. God will use them in your life. They'll shape the decisions that you make. They'll, they'll help you in, in, in just the way you think and the way you understand the Scriptures. And so um, in, in Exodus, where we are now, as you guys know, I've kind of been over it over and over again, but I think it's just important that, you know, it's a picture of the Christian life. And so as the children of Israel were in Egypt as slaves for 400 years, and God brought them out, the story of Egypt is, is this being delivered from bondage. And the reality says that each one of you were delivered from bondage. If you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the, the Bible says as, as some of us were, as such as we were talking about our past, that we were in the world and of the world. And, you know, I've heard some of your testimonies. I know that, you know, where you guys have been and where God's brought you and some of the bondage that, that God has brought us out of in our lives today. And this is a picture of it. And then what happens is once you, for me personally, as you guys know my testimony, I was um, fully addicted to drugs at, at 20 years old. I became a Christian at 20 years old. I asked Jesus in my heart. God delivered me from that bondage. I left Egypt. I left the world. I became a Christian. I asked Jesus in my heart. And then I began this, this kind of journey of, of coming to know Christ, of, of getting to um, away from that bondage and, and that addiction and that, that struggle in my life. And it took, you know, kind of a process. And as I, I never went to AA, I never went to rehab. I, I didn't do any of those things. I had a one-step program, not a 12-step program. I had Jesus. And I, I know the night that I became a Christian, I was um, 20 years old, March of 1994. I was in my bedroom in my mom's house alone, watching TV when I asked Jesus in my heart. And, and that wasn't the whole story. It's a long story that I, I won't tell you all the details of tonight. God had already been working in my heart. There was a Bible study in Hemet, California, where a kid that I grew up with um, had moved to Hemet, California and, 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 and asked Jesus in his heart a year before I did. And, and for whatever reason, he had begun to pray for me and he was calling me, he was reaching out to me, he was inviting me. He was attending a Bible study at the same time and had been for a while on a Tuesday night. And every Tuesday night, they were praying for my salvation. And there was a lot of process that went on to that. But from that night that, that I asked Jesus in my heart to be my Lord and Savior, you know, I know that God delivered me from, from the bondage of Egypt. But, but, but as I left the world, you know, and as I got God, you know, I, God got me out of Egypt, the problem was Egypt was still in me. And that's what we're going to see in the children of Israel through this next process that we're walking through right now is that God took them out of Egypt but the problem was Egypt was still in them. I used to say, not such a good analogy today, I guess, but I'd say, you would say, you could take me out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of me. Well, Jesus has been working to take the ghetto out of me since I left, and it's still like lingering. But that, that's, that's the reality. You can take them out of Egypt, but you can't take the Egypt out of them. And then, so God took them it, right where we are right now through this process. And what's interesting is if you follow and we've read it and we've studied it, but the direction, the line from Egypt to where they crossed the Red Sea to where they ended up in, in Israel. And as you know, as they came out in the different camps, you can draw a line and, and you see, I wish I had the map if I could show you, but they have the place where they came out. And, and, and in one spot, we, we kind of know where they crossed the Red Sea because the Red Sea makes a V like this. Um, and you have Egypt here, and Israel's on the other side over here, Dead Sea like this, Saudi Arabia, and then you have the Sinai Peninsula that's in the middle. And, and so they, they actually would have went over the first part of the Red Sea and came down, and the Philistine country was right here in the north. And we read a scripture, if you guys will remember, and God told them not to go to, to the Philistine country. So we know they, they went south to skirt the Philistine country, crossed over the um, 
the Red Sea. We know where the Red Sea crossing is. There's archaeological evidence for where they crossed the Red Sea. But then as they crossed, they entered into Saudi Arabia, what is today was called Arabia, but it's today Saudi Arabia. And where Mount Sinai and where we are in most of this process takes place in what would today be um, Saudi Arabia then as they, they ended up north. So they were in this year process of God working in their lives. And, you know, in my life personally, when you come to Christ, you, you have misconceptions. Your, 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 your life, your, what you believe about God, what you believe about the way God works, a lot has to do with your experience. And for everybody, that's going to be different. And for how you grew up and maybe what your religious experience is. Or maybe you, you got drugged as a child to some whack church. Or you went attended some church and something weird happened. And you, you have this opinion about God or about church or about the way it should be based on your experience. And, and so you go through this process. And just as the children of Israel marched through these campsites, crossed the Red Sea, on up in. Now, now they haven't reached that point yet. Now, as you know, at some point, God's going to show up and God's going to say, okay, that's enough. I've had enough. Now, you just can't leave. You guys, you guys ever seen, uh, oh, my favorite movie when I was a kid. Maybe I wasn't a kid. Sonny. He has five fingers, but he only uses three of them. What was that? Somebody help me out. I'll think of it in a minute. Bronx Tale. A Bronx tale. Why was I referencing a Bronx tale? I have a good reason. I'm going to tell you in a minute. It had to do with my something. All right, so. Oh, yeah, God had enough. That's what it was. God had enough. There's a scene in there where these guys are acting tough in the bar. And, and then they're telling them, hey, you guys get out of here. You guys get out of here. And they're like, no, we're not leaving. We're not leaving. And they're acting all tough, breaking stuff in the bar. And then the Italian guy, he goes to the door and. He locks the door and turns around. He says, now you just can't leave. And all these guys come out with clubs and beat them up. And well, God got to that point. Now you just can't leave. So God had been calling them and telling them that they were to cross and encouraging them and working in their hearts and working on getting the Egypt out of them. And you have to remember, they were in Egypt for 400 years. They had a slave mentality. Just, just like you and I have a certain mentality when we first came to Christ. And God loves you so much that he's not going to leave you that way. And and the whole thing is the Bible says God's going to come. Jesus is going to come in your life. He's going to come in your house. And and, and he loves you enough that he's not going to leave the furniture the way it is. He's going to rearrange things in your life for your better, for your blessing. And and that was the process that they were in. But then when they got to that point where now you can't leave and where God had enough, he, he, he says, as we know, the story goes on. And, and he says, anybody who's 20 years or older will not enter the promised land. And so what should have been a short journey ended up taking 40 years. And not because it was a 40-year journey, but as we know how the story is going to progress, the children of Israel wandered for 40 years through the wilderness, waiting. It was a, big, it was a funeral procession, a 40-year funeral march. And the Bible says God preserved their sandals for 40 years. They didn't wear out. Those were some good Nikes. And the... The, the people all died, every one of them, because they, they, they didn't believe and they, they, they wouldn't believe and they wouldn't step out in faith. And God reached a point and he brought Caleb and Joshua were the only two and the next generation who, who eventually promised to, went into the promised land. Now, I said that to, to remind you guys, and we're going to get to chapter 18 here in a minute. But um, in, in chapter 18 and 17 and 16 and 15, where we've just come from, there's we haven't reached that point yet. There's this year kind of stretch where God is still... Um, now, obviously, we know. And I don't understand how this works, to be honest. But in God's foreknowledge, He knows He's going to reach that point where He's going to say enough is enough. And that they're not going to get into the promised land. But He still works in that year until He gets to that point as if He's, he's believing and working that they are going to get in. And, and He does that, I think, in our lives and in... in, in you know, he, he's, he's still allowing and working and blessing. And, and even if he knows there's going to come that point, his grace is still sufficient. And so we're in this process of God trying to get Egypt out of his people by allowing them to go through lessons. Let's walk through it really quickly. That was all to introduce this. I hope you guys are following with me still. Peter said this in the New Testament. 
Peter said that you and I are pilgrims. Somebody say pilgrims. Okay, Peter says in another way, that another term that we're sojourners. Somebody say sojourners. So what, what did Jesus say along those same lines? That we are N-O-T-W. What did Jesus say? Somebody, please, besides my wife. So we're, we're, we're not of this world. Same idea. Same thing I've been preaching on Sunday mornings in a pull-out message two weeks ago. That we're sojourners. We're foreigners. We're, we're not of this world. That, that what we do in this life is, is looking forward to the next. And I guarantee you as Christian people, if we would focus on heaven, and, and if we would really believe every day that we're going to spend eternity in heaven, and then if we didn't focus on the mansions that we have here, you guys seen my mansion, huh? Just kidding. It, it, and we focused on the mansion that is coming, that, that our lives would be so much better. And, and, and I forget who it was. One of the famous preachers said that if you, if you focus on the earth, you, you won't get the earth or heaven. Because, because if you're focused on yourself and on what you're going to get in this earth, you're going to be miserable. And, 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 but yet, if you focus on heaven, God's going to throw earth in. You'll get earth thrown in with it. And, and that's just the reality. And Jesus said that very plainly. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, store up your treasures in heaven where, where rust don't, dis, don't destroy and moths don't eat and steal. And so there is this, this mentality that we need to have as Christians that we're sojourners, that we're passing through. And if we live our lives in that, in that way, it, it motivates, it helps. And so in this kind of progression as the children of Israel are leaving, this, the, the Old Testament is this, this, again, this one big story that, you know, um, as we watch God's people, that, that they are literal sojourners. They are actual sojourners. They actually live in tents because, you know, Paul said that this, this, this world is, you know, just a tent, that we're, we're temporary, and that our eternal dwelling and our eternal home is heaven. But they, they literally were sojourners. They literally were a physical picture of our Christian life in that process. And as we watch God's people travel through the wilderness, it's, again, a picture. So they were set free from Egypt. And Egypt is a type of the... Egypt is a type of the... Do we have, I think we got some pens in the back table. I think I'm going to pass out some pens. Have you guys take some notes. Um, seriously, if you have pen, paper, notes, take a few notes on a few of these things, write them in your Bible, put them down somewhere. But, um, this basic kind of outlay, I want us to memorize this. So we're set free from Egypt and Egypt is a type of the world. So, um, God, again, as we already talked about, God got his people out of Egypt. Now he had to get Egypt out of his people. Okay. They, they, um, and so that's us. So they're set free from Egypt. And as they left Egypt, the Bible says that they would wear their kneading bags on their backs, their staffs in their hands, their sandals on their feet. So literally, they would have been backpackers, sojourners. It would have been like a modern day backpack, almost as it would have looked with a backpack and a staff and a pair of sandals. And that's an exact picture of the way God wants us to the cares of this world and carry our life today, that that the things of this world fit in our backpack and in our staff because we're focused on heaven as we sojourn through. 40 years they would have wandered, but this, this particular process we're in right now is just a one-year period. The first camp that they went to, anybody remember? Sukkoth. So write Sukkoth, number one. First camp they went to. Sukkoth means tent town. So literally, in this process, God is telling a story with the camps, with the names of the city that are specific you know, today we name our kids, we, we name our cities, we name our towns, and they don't really have a lot of meaning. But the biblical meaning of, of, of the names in the Old Testament, they're a part of the story. God orchestrated them that way. And what's so cool is that, that God named them while they're in their mother's womb according to how they were going to live their lives. And so each of the names of the, of the camps that the nation of Israel traveled through where we studied so far, it, it paints a picture um, as we go through this. So the first one is Sukkoth. Write down Sukkoth, and it means tent town. And again, that's that eternal perspective that we've been talking about. 
Don't focus on your mansion here. Focus on the one in heaven. And they left Sukkoth. Do you remember? They left Tent Town. And they went to Etham, number two. Etham. And Etham means with them or with you. It was on the edge of the wilderness as they were leaving Egypt. It was a barren land when we were studying and we were going through Etham. It was this just terrible barren land. And, and, and yet God was with them in the barrenness. And it's a story, again, it's a picture that God is with you in your wilderness experiences. God is with you in, in the places and the seasons of your life that are barren. You know, one of the things that, one of the terms that I use often, and my brother's a pastor as well, and, and so um, something I kind of picked up from my brother, but we, we often talk about that, that life is in seasons. And as we know, we know that, you know, in Utah, we actually kind of have four seasons. We have almost winter, winter. Uh, still winter and then road construction. But um, we, we live in, in these seasons of life. And, you know, God, God in, our, in our Christian walk, he, He's going to take us through seasons. We have to understand that. And, and as, we, as, as we watch the children of Israel going through these seasons, or, you know, if you will, we call them seasons, towns, it's all the same thing. And they were literal towns with literal names that mean something about and, 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 and t- tell a picture of a season. But you know, as Christians, sometimes we go through seasons of dryness. Sometimes we go through seasons of wilderness. We might go through a season and we feel like, you know, I'm not hearing God's voice. God's not, God's not helping me. God's not with me. And, and maybe we go through a season of um, joy and of, and, of, and, of, and of victory and of fruit. And, and things are happening well and growing and finances are doing good. Or then we go through a, a season of of despair and a different seasons. And we're going we're gonna to highlight and we're going to see these seasons leading into chapter 18 that's a prophetic model. But the first season or town they came to was a barren land. And the name of it means, I am with you. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And, and God is with us even in our barren seasons. And God uses, and here's the lesson, God uses, Bye, I love you. Everything all right? Okay, we'll see you later. Um, I dimed her out. <laughs> Called her out. I'm just kidding. So um, God uses those seasons to teach us something. Here's the lesson. Somebody say, uh-oh. Somebody, uh-oh. Here comes the lesson. Here's the lesson. That, that as you go through these different seasons, God is telling you something. I'm with you. He's using them to help you grow in Christ. You know, and so for a tree, for example, you know one of the things about a tree when a tree doesn't get water at the surface, do you know what happens to that tree? The roots have to work harder. They dig down deeper because the water is deeper. And, and, and then as a result, what, what's the result of, for the tree? It's stronger. When the wind blows in the top of the tree, it doesn't blow over as easy. But it took a dry season. It took a hard time for that, that, the roots of that tree to dig deeper. God allows those things in your life. God allows dry seasons in your life so that your roots will dig into Him and, and, and create a, a, a depth of character in your life. And so this, this process that the children of Israel are going through is, is teaching them and God is showing them and, and, and it shows us um, the same thing today. So where are we at? Etham? So it was in Etham, in this dry land, in this wilderness. And if you'll remember, this is the place, ready, I'm going to get to some fill in the blanks, where God said by day, he led them by a, by day, he led them by a white puffy thing, cloud. By day, he led them by a cloud. And at night, by a, by a pillar of fire. And so again, you know, under a cloud, what do we get under a cloud? We get shade, we get cool, we get, we get kind of an ease of, of situations. And I think God, I don't think, I know God leads us that way. He leads us where it's cool and where it's, it's under the shade and, and things are nice. And there's also times where God leads us at night by a fire. You know the interesting thing about fire and, and when God turns the heat up in your life? Now, now, again, I feel like I'm being super redundant, you guys, but just... Bear with me, okay? Because I'm going to keep the redundancy going. Um, the, the, the fire in your life, it's not against you. God is not against you when things go hard. So here's the lesson. If you're in a barren land, 
If you're having the cool under the shade or you're in the fire, it hasn't changed God's status over your life or God's love or God's direction or God. He's doing something in your life. You know, it's like if you when, when I change my ba- my daughter's diaper, she screams like, oh, like I'm killing her. Right. She doesn't like it. Not really. She's an angel. She doesn't do any of that. She just like, <laughs> but if she cried like that, like I'm not hurting her. I'm, I'm she doesn't want to sit in that poop for very long. Like, but, but it's a little uncomfortable of going through the process. But what I'm doing for her is, is a blessing. So for the baby to cry when I'm changing a poopy diaper, that she's going to be happy that I changed. Okay, that's okay. She's a baby. But for you to whine like a baby every time God changes your diaper, every time God turns the heat up on you a little bit, every time you go through a barren land, it's not cute anymore. You're not a baby anymore. So stop whining. Stop complaining. Stop, you know, that, and that, that's the lesson, right? How many times are the children of Israel whining and complaining? And, and we want to punch them because we can read what happened before and what's going to happen next. And we can see, hey, God is with you. He's not going anywhere. Stop whining. But yet we're the same way. It's a picture of us. And so, you, you know, again, about fire in your life. As, as you guys all know, what does fire do to gold? Refines it. Makes it better, right? You, you, you burn the gold and what happens is the impurities and the dross floats to the top and the goldsmith scrapes the top off and, and then he turns the, the heat up a little bit hotter the next time so that more of the nastiness comes up and God scrapes it off and, and like it or not, that's a blessing and that's a process that God is doing in your life and in my life as he turns the heat up on our lives. And so when we feel the heat coming up, don't say, God left me, God hates me, or whatever you say. Shut your mouth. Shut your pie hole. Just kidding. Quit whining. And, invert, and, and then they left Etham with them. Etham means with them or with you or I am with you. You guys are writing this down, right? And they went to Piahiroth or Migdal. And this is um, it, with their backs to the Red Sea. And so we, we know the process that God brought them. And this is the part right before this. They ended up in this place is where it said the Philistines are to the north. And God said, don't go into Philistine country. So what didn't make sense was they went south and they, they backed themselves into a corner. They're, they're in between... Um, Piahiroth and Migdal, their backs to the Red Sea. Logistically, it's absurd the position that God has just placed them in. Yet, God led them into that position. And then all of a sudden, in this terrible, logistic, bad situation that God absolutely led them into, they, they see this dust and cloud and hear noise. And they look back and the entire Egyptian army is bearing down on them. This is a foolish thing you just did, God. We have mountains on both sides. We have the Red Sea in front of us. We are sitting ducks. We are going to die here today, hands down. We're slaves. We don't have weapons. The entire Egyptian army led by their chariots and Pharaoh is with them. I mean, if Pharaoh's leading the army, it's a big deal. He didn't just send the the troops out. He led them in this fight. And here comes the Egyptian army. Is God foolish? You guys aren't sure? Let me get out of the way when the lightning comes. (laughs) Is God foolish? No, God's not foolish. Do do we feel sometimes in our lives like God's foolish? Yeah, we do. We might even say that to Him sometimes. Why'd you do this, God? Why'd you bring me to this situation? Let me take a little parenthesis here, a little side note. Sometimes God didn't have nothing to do with that. And quit blaming him for that because he said, I didn't have nothing to do with putting you there. I told you not to go there. I told you a hundred times you should be over here and you're over there. That's your own fault. So when you go over there and you go out and play in the street and you hit by a car, don't ask me why you got hit by a car. Dummy, I told you not to play in the street. But God did, in this case, lead them to this place. And, and it seemed foolish. And, and God put them in this amazing place that I love, 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 love. Because they are now in a position where if God doesn't show up and do something divine, something miraculous, they're going to die. That's where I want to live my life. I'm not kidding, right there. 
crazy. Like, if I'm going to surf, I want to be in the barrel, right? If I'm going to whatever, that's where I want to be, in the barrel. And, and this is in the barrel. This is the place. You guys are thinking guns, huh? I'm in Utah. I forgot. I'm not in San Diego anymore. No, a barrel is on a wave, makes this perfect little barrel, and you get in it. But in that place, and they, they are in a place where if God doesn't show up, they're going to die. If God doesn't show up and do something that, that nobody can do, they're going to die. What happens the rest of the story? You guys know, right? God shows up, parts the Red Sea. They walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Not only that, but you know why God led them to that specific place? Probably for some practical reasons. Any sea usually has like this drop off where it gets deep and then back up the other side if it's... but. You know, and, and the people are not going to cross the Red Sea where there's a hundred foot drop off. And in many places along that place, in, in the Red Sea, we, we don't even look for the, the crossing and the archaeologists didn't and, re, and realize that, you know, for thousands of years, we couldn't be looking for because we didn't have the technology that we have today to be able to find the, the actual place where the artifacts were. And for, for that stuff to be preserved over this, this, this time, you know, it would have to go through certain things to be able to survive. Most of it would not have survived. But anyways, in this particular place, there's, there's, there's about a 60-foot um, drop that's gradual, and then the same thing on the other side. So they're walking through on dry land. There's a wall of water on the right, a wall of water on the left. Several movies have depicted this, and they do a pretty good job of what the Bible describes. It's, it's a wall of water on the right, a wall of water on the left, and they walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side, and what's on the other side? Freedom. They get to the other side. The Egyptian army goes in, and the Lord covers them in, with the Red Sea. They left um, from there. You know, the other thing I think that um, we, we see with, with uh, Piahirath and, and Migdal with the backs to the Red Sea is had God... Um, had God just brought them in a different direction and the, and the Egyptian army never found them? Because God was guiding them. God could have, he, he was guiding them. They couldn't even miss it. Cloud, cloud by day, fire by night, that's pretty easy to follow. I think even some of us Christians could follow the Lord if it was that easy, you know? And it is. But um, he brought them to that place. The Egyptian army found them. And, and what happened was it was a testimony to the rest of the world. It was a testimony to all of Egypt that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God. And, and the world got to see God's hand working on the, on the nation of Israel and on these people. And, and, and the, the world's going to see, and God's going to maybe allow some, some difficult places in your life, some difficult times, so that the world will see how you come through and how you fare and how your God shows up and delivers you. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in the fiery furnace, you know, O Nebuchadnezzar, we, we will not bow down to your God, and, and our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to your God. And so the world saw, and it was a testimony of the world, they left there, and they went to a place called Mara. You guys remember the story at Mara? If not, it's my fault. I didn't teach it very well when we got through it a couple weeks ago. In Mara, Mara means bitter. The French word for Mara is malade. And the only reason why I bring that up is because my father-in-law, Lydia's dad, has a place right by the Malad Gorge. And so the term is bitter. The water was bitter. So the, when the pioneers came over, they named it Malad. But the word is, is um Mara and Mara means bitter and the nation of Israel had just left the victory came through the Red Sea they were thirsty was they got to the water they saw the water and they jumped in and they tasted it it was bitter And, and they couldn't drink it and again they were they were complaining and God again is taking them out here to starve and 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 they're not trusting God and all the while God is allowing every one of these cities every one of these camps or stops along the way to teach them that he's with them that he loves them that he's going to take care of them that he has their back and so in Mara the water was bitter and do you remember how they um in order God spoke to Moses and he said cast into the water a 
I did a terrible job teaching this. In a tree. You don't remember? Moses threw a tree into the water. And he threw the tree in the water. And the tree represents or reminds us of the... The cross. So it's a picture. It was a type as we went through this. It was a type of Christ. And that, that when you add Christ, when you add the Lord in your, your bitter situations, He makes them well. He makes them sweet. And, and that's the, the lesson of Mara and the bitterness of taking the tree and throwing it into the water and it became sweet. Amen? Don't fall asleep. You guys got another 10 minutes before you can do that. So... The last takeaway is just, you know, if, if something makes you bitter, throw the tree in. Add the cross to the situation. And, 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 and Jesus and the cross will make the situation better. I, my father-in-law used to tell me, my pastor used to tell me all the time, to give, um, give everybody else the sunshine and give Jesus the rest. And it was just good advice about it. You know, give, give people... You, you never, ever meet that guy like, hey, how you doing? Oh man, oh man, I got to, you know, my my ankle's killing me and I got things going on and things I don't want to repeat and you know, and it's all it's every time you see him, how are you? Tired. See him the next week, how are you? Tired. See him the next week, how are you? I'm tired. Better get, better get a nap, dude. What's wrong with you? You're tired every time I see you. You know, uh, and, and not that you can't tell somebody you're tired. Sometimes you're tired, but if that's all you say every time someone asks you how you're doing, I'm tired. It gets old. You know what the reality is? Like it or leave it, just the truth is people are going to stop asking you how you're doing. They, they really don't want to know all that stuff. And again, not, not that it's not okay to share with your friends, with people that ask, with me when I ask, if something's going on. That's not the point. But if, if, we're, if we're negative all the time and you're just bleh, throwing up on people all the time, every time they ask you how you're doing, one time just tell them, even if it's a lie. I'm going to give you permission right here in church in front of God. I'm going to make the sign of the cross to cover it. Sprinkle some holy water on it and give you permission to lie. Just say, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. How are you? And then go home and say, Jesus, I'm not doing great. It's crappy. I'm at the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is coming. Goliath's on the other side. And give Jesus the sunshine. I'm sorry. Give the world the sunshine and give Jesus the rest. And let the cross and Jesus in your life take the bitterness and turn it sweet. Then they left um, Mara and they went to the next place they went. Anybody remember? Elon. And then Elon was the next camp or the next stop along the way. And the word Elon means mighty ones. So in, in, in Elon, you guys remember the story. Now, now don't forget, these are actual stops along the way that we've studied as they left Egypt. They went to the Sukkoth. And then they went here. And then there. And all these places, five that I've got to, we're on number six now. The sixth stop, the Bible tells, says, as we ch- track the tr- children of Israel on their journey, crossing the Red Sea, is they get to this place, Elon, which the Hebrew word Elon means mighty ones. And you guys remember, that's the place when they got there. There was 12 wells and, and there were 70 trees. Now, does anybody think it's coincidence that God records for us in this story and that it's not just recorded, it's actually the way it was when they got there. Somebody had dug or put 12 wells and 70 trees in a place called Mighty Ones. In this story that God is weaving for you, for me, to teach us, to help us in our Christian walk today. So 12 and 70 is a number that we would always equate with in the Bible, the 12 tribes of Israel is one we would equate 12 with, but the one I'm looking for now is the other one, the 12 disciples. And then Jesus actually had 12, technically 12, we call them disciples, but if we want to get technical here, apostles, the 12 apostles, and then he had many disciples. But in, in, the, in the New Testament in Luke, Jesus sent out 70 disciples. So he has his 12 apostles and he sent out 70 disciples, the 70 sent out ones. And so we have this, um, um, this lesson in Elon for the children of Israel, for us, that Elon was a place of service. Um, and, and again, it's a, it's a key in Christian living. It's a key that Jesus taught 
over and over and over and over again that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to learn to become a servant of all. That if, and I'll tell you guys again, I'll try to move quickly now. I'm trying to speed up because I only got about five minutes left. If you want to get better, if you're struggling with emotional problems, with anxiety, with, with sadness, with anger, with bitterness, with hurt, with resentment, I'm going to give you the cure. Start serving somebody else. Start helping somebody else go through something they're going through. Get your eyes off of yourself and start serving somebody else. And when somebody comes up to you and they ask you, how are you doing? You're going to lie. Remember, I gave you permission to lie. I'm doing wonderful. How are you? And then when they tell you from their heart they're not doing so well, you're going to start pouring into their life. You're going to serve them. You're going to go out of your way to help them. And, and, and guess what's going to happen to your own pain and your own hurt and your own struggle? It's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to start to heal. And I'll tell you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, the healthiest, um, well um, people are people that's, that, that live a life of constantly serving other people, even if their life is hard. Lydia's dad is the greatest example that I know on planet Earth personally. Watched him personally just live his entire life to serve other people. And it's not easy. His life's not easy. There's a lot of people that hate him for no reason. Or for a reason, who knows. But he, he's made enemies along the way. And he's been a pastor and serving the Lord for 40 years. And I could, I, I could get going right now, but I'm not going to because I don't have time. But um, just, just giving his life to serve. But it, he, he's also one of the most successful and joyful and, and, and happy and, and people that I know. You know, and I, I think it would be a cure for a lot of our society's ills. And I know for our church, forget society, let's just look within the family of God. And, and it's just the truth. You, you lost a child... People hurt there. They struggle there for a long time, and it's hard to get over. But start serving somebody else. Start helping somebody else who's lost a child. Start pouring into somebody and really loving somebody else who's done that, and, and, and you'll begin to heal. And so this is, this is the Elon, and this is, again, it's just biblical all the way through. It's consistent in the New Testament. We see it here. You know what happened in Elon? They, they had been fighting, and they had been battling, and they had some ups and some downs, and they had some wilderness and some heat and, and the Red Sea experience and some, some tough times. And, and then God, God brought them through. Remember I said these were towns or, or, or stops or camps. They were also seasons. Then God brings us through seasons of refreshing. And... And in, in, in this particular city in Elon, there was 12 wells and, and 70 trees. So there was shade and there was cold water and it was just that type of season. But it came from serving others. And in that place, you know, we serve other people fruit and we give, we give out. Okay, you guys got it? Is the horse dead yet? Should I keep kicking it? Are we good? So the key, relaxation and refreshment is to give out. Okay. There was no bitterness in Elon, and, and it was a place of serving. And then they went to this, this, this particular stop, and it has an interesting name, this one. It's still called that, well, I don't know if it's still called that today, but when you look up on the maps, it's what it says in this place. It's in, it's in Saudi Arabia. If you look on an old map of this area, but they came to the wilderness of S-I-N, the wilderness of sin. And, and so in the wilderness of sin, this is the place where God sent the manna, the bread from heaven. And in the wilderness of sin is where they complained and they said, we have no food and we're hungry. And again, they said, have you brought us out here to die? And again, God is showing them that he's with them and that he's going to take care of them. And this other challenge in their life of, of the very necessity of life, right? We have a few necessities in life. Your number one need in life is, is redemption. Number one thing you need in this life is to be forgiven of your sins and, and be redeemed by the blood and the love of Jesus Christ. Number two is oxygen. You're not going to live very long without oxygen. What, what, would, what would three and four be? Really simply, right? Food and water. Okay, Jesus, redemption, oxygen, food and water. Then maybe shelter and we go on from there. But they, they, they don't have, in one spot they don't have water, in another spot they don't have food. And here God brings and Jesus sends, and we spent a lot of time on this one, so we can go through this one really quickly. He sent the manna from heaven. Manna is a, is, a, is a bread of life. 
And it's a type in the, in the word of God of Jesus, who, is, who Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So, so manna is the word. It represents the word. And we have the written word. And then we also have the living word, which is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the, and the Word... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Jesus is described in John chapter 1 as the Word of God. It's one of the titles of Jesus. He is the Word. He's the living Word. And, and Jesus said concerning the, the, the manna and the bread that it was a picture of Him. And we have a picture of both the written word and the living word, Jesus Christ, in the manna that, that we need to live on. David said, how may a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. Your word is a light unto my feet that I'm, that I, to, to guide my path. And so it's the word of God. How did Jesus defeat Satan? It is written. It is written. It is written. He defeated Satan with the word of God, Right? Okay, then they left the wilderness of sin. Oh, I'm sorry. One last thing here on the wilderness of sin. You guys remember in the wilderness of sin, one of the things they said to Moses when they came to him and they said they're hungry is they said, man, we, when we were back in Egypt, we ate from the flesh pots. Remember we talked about that in the term flesh pots, which it, it wasn't true. They were slaves in Egypt. And, and this, this, their, their, their delusion that things were better in Egypt wasn't even true. But without the word of God and without the bread and the manna from heaven, which is a picture of the word of God in your life, in my life, it's necessary that we feed ourselves the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And as a Christian person, you will not stay healthy. You will not grow. You will not develop in this relationship and in this message that God is trying to tell you that he's with you and show you through hard times and dry times and refreshing times without the word of God. You have to put the word of God in your life in a daily basis. Or what happens is your mind, as with the children of Israel, starts to have delusions of what life is like without Christ. And then you, you remember back to a time where, oh, things were so wonderful and we had the flesh pots in Egypt. And then you go back and you check and you're like, there was no flesh pots in Egypt. That, that's not even true. They're delusional. But, but that's the way that our mind works, you know, and to think that you, you today want to go back to Egypt, your Egypt, which is the world that you lived in prior to Christ and what kind of person you were and, and, and thinking it. And we don't want to go backwards. And we don't want to go back to the world. But we're in danger of it if we don't add a daily diet of God's God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. And that's what the manna is. I love the manna. Manna, manna, manna. I could talk about it forever. Because Jesus mentioned it several times in the New Testament. Taught on it. I think we spent a whole week. Um, what was it? Luke 16. Was it Luke 16 a couple weeks ago? On the manna. Alright, last stop and then we're done, you guys. Um... And then chapter 18, we're gonna, we'll do that in uh, the next 30 seconds. We'll, we'll study that, and then we'll be done. Just kidding. The last place they went to here in the wilderness is Rephidim. And in Rephidim was the place of rest or a rest stop. And this was the place in Rephidim. And you guys know this story because this one is fresh. We did this one just last week. This is this place where Moses smit the rock. And Moses hit the rock in Rephidim. And God went to Moses. We don't have any water. They just left no food. Now it's no water. And, and God prayed for, for the people. And, and, and Moses prayed to God for the people. And God said to Moses, take the staff that's in your hand and go and smite this rock and water will come forth. And so Moses went and he, and he hit the rock and water came out. And again, that water that came out is, uh, well, first of all, the rock itself is a picture of what? Jesus. And the water that came out is a picture of the Holy. <laughs> if you're going to do it like that, you should say Holy Ghost. Um, by the way, the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. I hear people, I used to think, what's the difference? Some people call them Holy Ghost. Some say Holy Spirit. It's the same term. <laughs> Same issue. So, um, Holy Spirit. So again, we have this picture in the Old Testament of a rock, which is Jesus. That's, that's 
again, some of these things like the manna, Jesus being the bread, like you don't have to like to tie the lines between the Old and the New Testament here. It's pretty simple. The, the terms are the same with the water. It's the same. Jesus said that, that he promised the Holy Spirit. And then he said, out of your heart will flow torrents of, of living water. That's the Holy Spirit coming through our lives. And so from this rock, the Holy Spirit flows. That's a picture of New Testament living, of the, of the type of abundant living that Jesus promises and wants for us to have in the New Testament is, is this life where the Holy Spirit, and, and, and He gets enough of the Egypt out of us that He can place His Spirit within us that His Spirit will flow through us. Amen? So, how'd you guys like uh, Exodus 18? Actually, not even 18 we're in. It was 19. So, didn't get there. But um, that's okay. We're done for tonight. We'll, uh, we are going to start our study um, going through the Ten Commandments. I do want to just comment. If you give me like two minutes on, um, on Exodus 19, we'll, we should at least go through it. We'll do it next week. But um, Exodus 19, the parallel in Exodus 19. So, we've been drawing parallels from the Old Testament children of Israel to things and places where they fit in our life in the New Testament and, and in the New Testament. Where do these stories fit? How do they correlate? It's, it's a picture of our live, Christian living today in the Old Testament. Where is it a picture? We've been showing those things. So 19 is where the law is given. And, and so the Old Testament example of the law being given in the New Testament is, anybody want to take a crack what the parallel is? My wife's not even going to take a crack at this one. The Holy Spirit is given. Okay, we give, he gave us the law in the Old Testament and grace in the New Testament. So in Acts chapter 2, the same time, Pentecost. This would have been the time of Pentecost in the Old Testament. It would have correlated when the law was given. You guys remember the story. Moses goes up on the mountain. He gets the tablets. He comes down. The children of Israel were in complete disarray. They were dancing around naked with um, golden calves. And Moses gets upset and he throws the tablets on the ground. And God judges the people. And 3,000 people died the day the law was given. And then in, in a parallel story in Acts chapter 2, the day that God poured out His Holy Spirit upon flesh, what happened? 3,000 people got saved. So again, we have these, these easy-to-connect parallels that God gives us from the Old Testament and the New Testament stories. But the parallel to Exodus 19 is the Holy Spirit being poured out in Acts chapter 2. Amen? Amen. 